The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back. It's another episode of the Bill Eve podcast. I'm John Boccasino. He's Jamie D'Amico. And if you can't tell, I am still suffering from Buffalo Bills related depression after the Bills exited the postseason prematurely at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs for the third time in the last four years. Jamie to take a phrase from uh, the Simpsons talking about the Jimmy Carter presidency, I feel like it's malaise forever right now. Oh my God, that was a great pull right there. Oh my <laughs> God, yeah, I, I'm I am here for any and all Simpsons references, so please keep them coming. When did they say that one? Like, what season would that have been? Oh my gosh, I, you you know you would ask me. I can't. I can't remember it. All I remember is the episode has, there's so many great moments uh, in that episode, not the least of which is they end up converting the Jimmy Carter statue into a tribute from Marge Simpson that gets used for tetherball at the Simpsons house in Springfield. It is a beautiful (laughs) episode. Uh, Rest in peace, by the way, to Jimmy Carter, one of the greatest humanitarians. It's fitting that we're talking about Jimmy Carter and humanity uh, here on the Believe podcast, because Jamie, I could really use a pick me up. It has been a long, torturous. I keep expecting to get to go to the stadium tomorrow for the AFC divisional round game because there's just no way the season can end the way that it did with pain, heartbreak, and agony. Well, you do sound forlorn, and it, it was really. If, if you saw that clip of Jordan Poyer sitting there on the sideline going, that's it? It ends like that? It's over, bruh? I mean, he was sort of going through the same thing as the fans were. Like, how in the world could it have ended here? But you know what? We talked about it last week. The Chiefs and the Bills are a very even matchup, and the game can go either way. And this time, it didn't go the Bills' way. And I know that we've seen it a few too many times where the Bills uh, get bounced from the playoffs at the hands of the Chiefs. But, you know, it's kind of, I mean, this is sort of the reality of 
these two teams right now being evenly matched. Bills get them during the regular season. Chiefs get them in the playoffs that could easily flip-flop. Um, but, you know, here we are. You know, I, I feel like they were they were very evenly matched. I just have to wonder, and I know injuries are a large part of the game. Yes. But if the Bills had had one healthy linebacker of Matt Milano or Terrell Bernard, and my heart breaks for Terrell Bernard because – if you haven't, uh, go on social. There's video of him talking about, like, he legitimately would have done anything to put his body out there and play. He just, he wasn't able to do it. I was too optimistic thinking he'd be able to play. And this is no knock on AJ Klein because AJ Klein, you know, he's a great guy and he delivered a phenomenal performance against the Steelers. But against Andy Reid and two Hall of Famers and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, it's simply a mismatch. And Klein yeah. knew it. I mean, he he was sobbing after the game, uh, talking about how he let the team down. And it's not his fault. It's not his it's fault not. the Bills lost the game. It's not Tyler Bass's fault that the Bills nope. lost the game. It's not Josh Allen's fault that the Bills lost the game. There are so many reasons for blame to go around that it's almost like Jamie, it's really hard to know where to start. So before we break down this game, I want to give you an opportunity to vent because as much as we love sports and as much as we love our Buffalo bills, there are some absolute asshole fans who put off the worst bills, mafia vibes. Give us your thoughts on the jackasses who decided to take their frustrations out on a game, mind you, on Tyler Bass. Oh, thank you for setting me up for this, because this is something where I have some strong feelings, okay? If you are giving death threats because your team lost, let me start here and say, don't listen to our damn show, okay? Let's, let's start with that. We Secondly, don't want you. We don't want you as part of our audience. If you have such a narrow focus that you will send death threats to the Bills kicker, just we don't want you. Get the hell out of here. Secondly, what the hell is wrong with you doing that to someone who just had the worst moment of their life? You think he did that on purpose? No, you saw the guy on the sideline. He was inconsolable. He was like thrashing around. He was so upset with himself. I mean, don't don't do that. <laughs> uh, but the, the second thing is, I, I do have an issue with fans in general after losses like this. And this goes all the way back to my childhood and watching the Bills in their Super Bowl run. You know, there was 1989 where Ronnie Harmon dropped the pass against the Browns. Bills lose in the playoffs. We knew who to blame there. Ronnie Harmon dropped the ball. Okay. 1990, no one to blame necessarily. It was, wow, the Bills are close. Uh, let's, let's see what they do next year because next year there's no one who's going to stop them. And then each year after that, somebody was trying to, well, everybody was trying to blame somebody is what I meant to say. And that included me. 
And that included statements like, you got to get rid of Jim Kelly. You got to get rid of Thurman Thomas. You've got to get rid of Bruce Smith. He's a distraction. Marv Levy isn't the right guy for the job. You got to get him out of there. In hindsight, would that have made a shred of sense? <laughs> Getting rid of multiple Hall of Famers. No. No. But that's what Bills fans are doing now. Bills fans seem to need their pound of flesh. Josh Allen can't get the job done. Uh, Stefan Diggs is a distraction. Sean McDermott is a bad coach, and he's never going to be able to outcoach other playoff coaches. You know what, guys? You don't win in the NFL by attempting to turn over your roster after you're bounced from the playoffs every single year. Josh Allen can't win the big game? Well, let me tell you something. Josh Allen has taken leads in more games with under two minutes than any QB in the NFL. This may be an indictment on the defense, but in by all accounts, Sean McDermott called a great defense all year. Players need to step up. Players don't always step up. Sometimes players are playing with injuries. That gets in the way. This is not a throw the baby out with the bathwater situation, and I know fans are angry right now, but you're not going to fix this by trying to overhaul the entire thing this offseason. Oh, by the way, the Bills are almost $50 million over the cap, so what do you want to do? And this phrase that the Bills window is closing is the most asinine thing that people are out there saying right now. Let me tell you why, John Boccasino. Please do, because this is one of the rants I was going to go off on, too. And I'm glad we're on the same page about the lunacy behind a supposed window closing. But go ahead. Give your opening statement. Josh Allen is going to be 28 years old next season. This is a quarterback-driven league. Josh Allen will be in his prime for another eight seasons. Okay. Your window is eight years. This season does not demarcate a closing of a window. This happens all the time with successful teams. They have to cycle through role players. And, you know, players get old. You got to cycle them out and bring in younger bodies. It happens all the time. You got to fix your salary cap. You saw the Rams take their cap medicine last year. They're back in the playoffs again this year. I mean, th these are the cycles that teams go through, but you have a Josh Allen for in his prime again for another eight years. Stop with the window closing. I want to hear what you have to say about that one. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree, Jamie. I, I'll give you a different perspective because obviously people who listen to this podcast and you know, there's a lot we want to talk about in this postmortem on the 2023 Buffalo Bills season. But I have season tickets and I have never had the misfortune of being part of a 70,000 person death march like I have after the game on Sunday night. Oh. It literally felt like we were going to a group funeral and the, the, the tone was morbid. The tone was quiet. There were some people who were yelling fire McDermott and the irrationality of Bill's fans, which you alluded to of turning over everything in the off season. And I'll, I'll unpack that in a second, but I don't, I, I said it last year and I will ardently argue for it this year too. The Bill's Super Bowl window is not closing. It's not closed. 
you're right. As long as the Bills have Josh Allen as their quarterback, who is one of the top three quarterbacks in the league, their window is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Does the degree of difficulty get higher with the fact that the Bills are and 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 just to correct you, Jamie, um, I was do and there's a great. I want to give again credit where credits due. There's been figures floating around about the cap hell that the Bills are in, and it's not great. Um, it is definitely not great. But Greg Thompson over at Cover One did a phenomenal job mm-hmm. the other day. In right now, the Bills are anywhere between fifty and fifty-two million over the cap, uh, based on projections for next year. But with a couple of simple moves, you're able to go from that situation to having 25 to 30 million to spend. It's not as dire. If if I'll tell you this, if you're listening to people saying the bills are screwed and they're going to win six games next year because of how bad their cap situation is, those people don't know jack about football and about the way the cap works. Mm -hmm. The cap is this figure that there's flexibility with. And the Bills have one of the best in the business in Brandon Bean, who will figure a way out to get the Bills back and competitive for next year. So to summarize, the Bills Super Bowl window is not closed. It's still open. Yes, the road is going to be tougher next year because you have emerging C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans. You got a healthy Joe Burrow coming back to the Bengals. You've got the Cleveland Browns with their aggressively good defense. You've got Trevor Lawrence and the Jags making a comeback. You've got Tua and the Dolphins always going to be a thorn in the side. And, oh, by the way, you have Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, who has been the nemesis to the Buffalo Bills these last four seasons. And, wait, let me add to that. With Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers, that Chargers team, loaded with talent, has been miscoached for the last three years by a guy who I rooted hard for, but is a terrible head coach. You put a good head coach on a team with Justin Herbert. Oh crap. You better look out. Cause they're coming. Yes. The competition is going to be stiff in the AFC, but the competition was supposed to be stiff this year in the AFC. And you know, who rose to the top of the AFC East yet again was the Buffalo bills. This hey. Bills team They know how to win in the regular season. At least give Sean McDermott, as much as you want to malign the Bills head coach, give him credit for doing an amazing job with the patchwork defense. Ultimately, it caught up with them on Sunday night. I feel like, Jamie, there's so many tangents I want to go to. But in summarizing, again, the window's not closed. The Bills have their work cut out for them. But they're going to have to take their medicine, go hit on low-level to mid-level cheap free agents, one-year deals, but there is a way to make this work. And if anyone can do it, it's cap whiz Brandon Bean turning the bills back because the bills have 22 free agents that are going to be turning over on their team. And we will get into on a future believe podcast, what the Bills should do with those 22 free agents who should stay, who should go. Uh, there's a lot of off season content Um, that we will have a chance to dive through with you here on Believe. But for the purposes of therapy, I want to dive into what went wrong on Sunday night. And I think the best analogy I can make, Jamie, the best place to start is this. 
people want to rip on Tyler Bass. They want to give him all sorts of crap for pushing the 44-yard field goal wide right. And those are the two most painful words in Buffalo sports history. Mm -hmm. Um, It it brings back memories of Super Bowl 25. I mean, it's not fair to have another city, another sports team, another Bills moment where wide right plays a role. But the cold hard facts are this. Even if Tyler Bass makes the field goal, Patrick Mahomes has two timeouts, a minute 47 to drive downfield and just get a field goal to end the game. So mm-hmm. get over it. You know, the, the, the Bills <laughs> we know the Chiefs can score six drive, times. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but we know the Chiefs can score six times in a minute 47. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. That, that's, that's such a short period of time. What I want to go to, though, Jamie, is there's a lot of fault to go around. But I think I want to talk first about before we get into, like, the biggest culprits of where the fault lies from this game on Sunday. I actually want to applaud the Bills up until that final two minutes. I thought Sean McDermott and the offense did a pretty good job of their game plan because it was clear they wanted to limit the possessions that Mahomes had. And it was great to see the ball control. I mean, the Bills were gashing Kansas City with the run with James Cook, with Ty Johnson, and with Josh Allen. And that led to ball control that led to eating up clock. And in my head, I think what makes it so frustrating, this loss was never for one second. Did I think the bills weren't going to find a way to walk off the chiefs that whole last drive. I loved everything about it up until they got to the 26 yard line. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was great because they were short passes. They were dinking. They were dunking. It was Khalil Shakir. It was Dalton Kincaid. It was Josh Allen runs. It looked like Brandon or Sean McDermott knew I cannot give Mahomes the ball back. So Mm -hmm. let's eat up clock. Let's convert a couple of fourth downs. The tension was high, but the bills were driving. And then Jamie, it all went to hell once they got to the 29 yard line. I don't understand the pounding James Cook up the middle call on the first down play. To me, that was one of the ones that set the tone for the misery that the Bills were going to endure over the final 240. Because to me, the Chiefs made a crucial adjustment in the Mm -hmm. second half. They went from doing a two safety, two deep look to dropping one safety back and bringing an extra defender up into the box because the bills had been running the ball so effectively and to not recognize that, especially on that first down play, why not call a run pass option? Why not call a little pass to Dalton Kincaid over the seam, do something where, you know, you need to get a touchdown, not a field goal. It almost seemed like the bills and Sean McDermott panicked and were like, Oh crap, we're in field goal range. Well, let's just settle for the field goal. Yeah, it kind of seemed like that. Um, I do want to back up a step. We have spent time this podcast, it sounds like yelling at Bills fans. And what I want to say is, if you don't share our opinion on things like the salary cap and the window and stuff like that, it's okay. Uh, I think what you're getting from us is just some general frustration about the Bills losing in general. So it's, it's almost like we are... 
the reverend who is admonishing the congregation because not enough people showed up. So we're yelling at the people who are there. Like that's not, <laughs> and I'm sorry that we're coming off that way. Um, but anyway, I agree with you that the Bills had a phenomenal game plan there. This, you know what it was reminiscent of? For those of you who remember, it was Super Bowl 25 when the Giants came in and took the air out of the ball and had 39 minutes of possession to the Bills 19. It, it was like something like that. Um, and that's exactly what the Bills' plan was because if you cut down on the number of possessions Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense have, you can hold them to fewer points. And the Bills did. They held them to under 30 points. The other thing that you have to keep in mind, though, is this Chiefs team has a very good defense, and they have not given up over 30 points at any time this past season. That's a good defense. So when the Bills got to the point late in the game when they, I thought they needed to move the ball but I was under the impression that worst case scenario, they end up with a tie. And I think that's what the coaching staff was thinking too. But there's one thing I would have liked to have seen a few more times, and that's play action. Because when you've got extra extra players in the box on defense, you are basically begging the offense to get somebody behind the coverage. Now, I understand that that wasn't necessarily working the way the Bills were were playing the game. Most of Josh's throws were, or completions were behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. That's because the Chiefs were dropping deep. But the other thing is, let's face it, Legereus Sneed has the number of Stefan Diggs. Diggs has a really hard time getting away from Sneed. And, you know, sometimes there are just bad matchups out there. Like, you remember, Darrell Rivas had a horrible time covering Stevie Johnson. Like, it was just one of those things. Stevie Johnson, not a Hall of Famer. Darrell Rivas, one of the best ever. He still struggled with Stevie Johnson. So, when you consider that, and that getting downfield was not something that the Bills were doing well, I understand what was happening and I also understand that the Bills wanted to keep the clock running, but they weren't executing because the Chiefs got, not only did they get much stronger on the line at the end of the game, also you will notice James Cook, he goes down on first contact every single time. So was he even the right person in the game at that point? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would argue Ty Johnson would have been, but but I also, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but I feel like Ty Johnson did such a great job catching the ball out of the backfield yeah. and running with the ball in the first half. Was he hurt after halftime? Was he hurt after the third quarter? Because I don't recall him getting a single touch on that fourth, in any of the fourth quarter drives. The Bills didn't do much. I mean, there was, gosh, after the failed fake punt, uh, the Bills get lucky, um, and the defense makes a stop and gets yep. a fumble at the goal line, giving Buffalo the ball back uh, on a touchback. And at that point, I'm like, the Bills have survived. They dodged another bullet. You know, at that point, if the Chiefs had scored a touchdown, the game would have been out of reach. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm bouncing over the place because there's so much to unpack from this divisional round loss. But I want to keep going with the wide receivers and the play calling because I do want to take umbrage with a pretty common theme that was put on social media that I don't think is a fair narrative. Okay. And it's this, it's very easy to point this out, but there were so many people on. So after the bills run the ball with James cook up the middle and he gets one yard on first down, you saw a lot of people ripping the bills for not taking the short pass on second down to either Dalton Kincaid or Stefan Diggs, who were doing little rub routes and cross routes across the middle of the field. And yes, Diggs was open. And yes, Kincaid was open. But I want to say to those people that are ripping Josh Allen for not throwing underneath, the ball and the play to Khalil Shakir was right there for the taking. And it would have been a go-ahead touchdown were it not for Chris Jones on one of the few times that he actually Buffalo's offensive line, by the way, deserves all the credit. They did a phenomenal job against this interior of the chiefs defense. Mm-hmm. One of the few times they made an impact was when Chris Jones bull rushed Deion Dawkins into Josh Allen, Allen's foot gets stepped on and a little bit of zip gets taken off the pass. If that's mm-hmm. a normal play, where Josh's foot is not stepped on, you're talking Josh to Shakir for a go-ahead touchdown. Instead, unfortunately, the ball sails short and the Bills are left with a third and nine. But I want to stop this false narrative that it should have been, oh, so easy. Just throw the digs underneath and get the seven, eight yards and have a third and one. That is inconvenient at best to Mm -hmm. take that attitude when really Josh did what he's going to do. He wants to get that home run threat. And the play was right there to give the bills the lead with a touchdown versus again, settling for the tie. Yes. And you take the points. Anytime you have an opportunity to get points, you take them. You don't, you don't play for at that point in the game. You're not playing to get the ball short of the sticks. You're trying to make a play. And, you know, that's one of those things where this is this is Bill's Mafia and even the media out there looking for their pound of flesh. 
when in reality, that wasn't any one person's fault. Uh, Chris Jones made a great play getting leverage on the Bills' best offensive lineman. You know, it like Deion Dawkins had a great game. It just happened to be on that play, he didn't get low enough going up against an all pro. Like he's going to lose some reps that happened to be a rep that he lost that affected Josh Allen throwing the ball. It there there is really you need a lot of things to go right in order to have a completion downfield. The other thing I want to point out is the direction that Chris Jones was coming from. When Stefan Diggs came open, Allen would have had to throw through Chris Jones in order to get the ball there. Like Diggs was behind Chris Jones at that point. So if Jones puts his hand up in the air, it gets batted down. So I, one way or another, you have an incomplete pass. So we we don't need to continue to sort of uh, browbeat over this one play because A, it was the right call, and B, it's no one person's fault that it didn't quite work. Correct. Again, it's not about scapegoating. And like you've said, getting that pound of flesh. And and even if it did manage the pass to get past Chris Jones and into Diggs' hands, who's to say Diggs would have caught the ball? Well, I there mean, was a defender behind him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he would have, even if he catches the ball, he's not getting a first down. I mean, no, he he's not. He's shake and bake move. He would have gotten six or seven. But my point being, Who's to say that Diggs would have actually secured the ball and caught it? Diggs had a fumble early on in Buffalo's first possession on a pass that I thought was fairly easy into his hands, and he fumbled it. Diggs had, and I'm telling you, Jamie, the biggest thing, (laughs) I will tell my grandkids about this game versus Kansas City, is all the pain that took place in the fourth quarter happened towards our section Section 123. <laughs> Lucky in you. The end zone. Lucky me seeing Tyler Bass miss the field goal, seeing Josh Allen with Khalil Shakir wide open, not able to get enough mustard on the ball because of Chris Jones' bull rush and stepping on uh, Josh's foot. But the biggest thing, seeing Trent Sherfield drop a ball that he should have caught that was a dime that it Josh was in put his on hands, his man. It was right there. What a terrible place for a ball to be thrown in a receiver's hands. <laughs> but to me, there's no more prototypical play that summarizes the ineptitude and frustration from Sunday night than the absolute 65-yard dime that Josh put into Stefan Diggs's hands only for Diggs to drop the ball. That, to me, Jamie, is a microcosm for Diggs's second half of the season and for the offenses overall, this offense used to be prolific at connecting on the deep ball. When is yeah. the last time you can recall the Bills and Josh Allen having a home run th- threat, a home run pass that actually was completed? I mean, it to me, it's just it was so mind boggling and so frustrating. And it brings up the question of what the hell has happened to Diggs over the second half of the season? Well, you know, that's a that's a good question, and I, I think that we'll find out more about it, but the change came when there was a change in offensive coordinator. 
And, you know, that's where the, the question sort of begins for me because Diggs was on pace to have his best season ever before they made that change. So um, it, it's the way that they're going about it differently. Um, Diggs was not double covered in this game against the Chiefs. So, and nor was he double covered against the uh, Bengals in the playoffs last year. And this isn't the kind of guy who shies away from, you know, big time moments, even though he hasn't necessarily shown up in big time moments. So, you know, I, I think that there's probably, probably his usage. He may be running routes under a different coordinator that he's not as comfortable with. And maybe it's sort of a, maybe it's just sort of one of those things where Joe Brady came in and say, Hey, look, we don't have a number one receiver anymore. We're just going to throw the ball to whomever is going to be open and we're going to move our primary target around. There's teams that do that. They're successful with it. Uh, I see that they're definitely trying to get the ball into Diggs' hands when they throw a lot of those screens to him. Unfortunately, not only is he not that kind of player, but Josh Allen always rushes himself and has terrible footwork on those. So those plays never work because Josh is disgustingly inaccurate throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> um, so, you know, is there any one thing? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I can't place it on anything. So I think it's the kind of thing where if Joe Brady comes back next year, I will be very interested to see how they come out during the regular season using digs. Yeah, there's a lot of question marks for sure. Um, and again, we have all off season to dive into you know, whether Brady is the offensive coordinator, what the new look offense will look like, what the Bills will do, because clearly one of the key takeaways from this game is the Bills and Josh Allen need a lot more help at the wide receiver yeah. position. Um, they were not getting anything besides Shakir. Uh, they were not getting anything from Sherfield or Deontay Hardy. Um, the Bills need to, to bolster their receivers. And I want to say, Jamie, one of the things I, I kind of – I. There's a lot we could continue on with this conversation, but sure. I don't want to beat a dead horse, you know, too much longer over this loss. But I feel like the thing that I want to talk about last, which I also feel like is probably the most important part of why the Bills lost on Sunday night, is we, what have we talked about all off season? The Bills are all season long. The Bills' defense has been banged up, but they've done a phenomenal job of piecemealing and patchworking together a unit that held its own and played over its skis, you know, for the second half of the season. Mm -hmm. What was, what was the one unit for Buffalo's defense that was almost entirely healthy for the whole season? It was a defensive line. And what was the yeah. unit that no showed got zero pressure, zero pass rushing penetration on Patrick Mahomes. It was the defense and the defensive line. Jamie, to me, that was the biggest frustration mm -hmm. was Ed Oliver has been a beast all year long, but Joe Thune made him look like it was a JV going up against the varsity yep. on Sunday night. And don't get me wrong. The line is really good. And Thune is a phenomenal uh, offensive lineman for oh, Kansas he's one City. of the best. Absolutely. But you, you didn't get any pressure from Ed Oliver. I don't believe he had a single pressure on Mahomes, Russo had one on an incredibly athletic play where he broke free from his block 
and pressured Mahomes. That was a really nice play. But other than that, and Von Miller made a tackle. Yay! <laughs> that justifies that ridiculous contract that he's got. Yay! But the end result of – and you can tell I'm frustrated, but the defensive line's no-show, what did it do to the game plan? Well, you had Buffalo's linebackers and defensive backs consistently having to ward off downfield blockers because the Chiefs' offensive line – could easily disregard the front four. It was no problem mm-hmm. for them. And Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards Elayer averaged 6.1 yards per rush, their best output of the year because the defensive line couldn't do its job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was that was kind of the difference in the game was the Chiefs' ability to run the ball at will. And side note, I know he's a Chief, and I'm not supposed to like the Chiefs, but watching Isaiah Pacheco run is so entertaining. The guy runs angry, doesn't he? He <laughs> it does. Looks, it looks like every time he touches the ball, he's he acts as though it's the last time in his life he'll ever get a chance to have the ball in his hands, and he's just a maniac out there. That's fun to watch. But you've seen it a couple times with this Buffalo Bills defense, and anytime you're watching them, and all of a sudden you will see this all of a sudden it looks like the bills defenders are stacked up as opposed to across the line they're going to give up a big game because that means that whatever blocking scheme is is going on there are certain bills defenders on the line that are getting pushed back three yards off the ball so layers behind the line bad because that means holes are open and you saw that all game long. The other thing was, you know, I don't know if this was maybe part of the game plan to keep Mahomes in the pocket because he can hurt you so bad with his legs and did on at least one 30-yard run. But I feel like there are ways to contend with that, which is Mahomes running and also getting a pass rush on. Putting a spy defender on him is one of the things you can do. And now he doesn't have to be right at the line of scrimmage. You can drop a spy 10 yards deep and just make sure that Mahomes gets stopped short of the sticks. But yeah, it it almost seems like this offseason, the Bills have two position groups that they're going to need to overhaul. One of which is the receiver group. The other is the defensive line because you have so many salaries coming off the books. You're just going to have a ton of holes on your defense when it comes yeah. to the line. So can you improve upon that even though you don't have a lot of money left? And that's a conversation, John, that I think we need to have another day uh, because when it comes to the draft, people are saying receiver or bust, but there's many rounds in the draft and many positions of need. So, hmm. Here's the teaser for a future podcast. I do not want the Bills taking a wide receiver in the first round. I feel like This is the golden era of receivers in college football. You can find bona fide studs in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. I mean, look at Khalil Shakir, who all Bills fans are clamoring to have a larger role on the offense. He wasn't taken in the first round or the second round or the third round or the fourth round. But again, that's a conversation for a future podcast. Just to note The Bills are going to be hit hard, like you mentioned, Jamie, and free agency when it comes to their defensive line. The only defensive tackle 
who is under contract is Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, Linval Joseph, and Bill's legend Puna Ford are all mm. free agents, as are Leonard Floyd, AJ Epinesa, and Shaq Lawson. This defensive line is going to look dramatically different when 2024 opens, and that might not be a bad thing given how catastrophic the unit's last game was together here in Orchard Park. Jamie, it was beyond frustrating um, for the season to end prematurely, but last I looked, the sun did rise. We are still here. And Bill's Mafia, we are here for you. Use us on this podcast as therapy. And by the way, to put a bow on the terrible situation involving Tyler Bass, I know I made a nice donation, and I'm encouraging the rest of our Bill's Mafia listeners, Mm -hmm. go to 10 Lives Club and make a donation in support of Bill's kicker, Tyler Bass. As of this recording, they're over $325,000 donated. You can donate $22, uh, which is two, two twos in honor of Tyler Bass's jersey number two. You can donate whatever you feel comfortable with, but make a donation for a charity that is near and dear to Tyler's heart and show the NFL world that Bill's Mafia is a generous, kind, caring fan base and not representative of those dolts who are throwing threat, uh, threatening death messages uh, towards Tyler Bass on social media. I love it. Yes. And please get involved with our podcast uh, on social media. Jamie's a great follow on Twitter. He is at the Jamie D'Amico. I am at John Boccasino. For my esteemed colleague, Jamie, we'll be back with more Buffalo Bills content here this offseason. Make sure you don't miss an episode of the Bill Eve podcast. Bills fans, keep your head up. There will be another day. One day the Bills will get over the hurdle, and all these adversities we've overcome will make us stronger. Hopefully it's next year, but we appreciate you bearing with us here and listening to our thoughts on this week's episode of the Bill Eve podcast.